As the Hawks drew closer in Midway City, we realized that they weren't slowing down. As they passed us, they gave a little wave, but it was clear that there were other things on their mind. Taking a look at our map, we realized that Midway City apparently wasn't very far from parts unknown USA. In fact, everything was pretty close to parts unknown USA. So we figured we might as well check up and see what the man from Mars was up to. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. I can see on the sound thing where I say evolution because it peaks up because I, I, I lilt that just a tad and it's kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Um, so we're liars. And here's why. Uh, I thought we were going to do the Hawks this episode. And uh, I misread where we had read in Hawkman. We actually read into 1962 as opposed to stopping at 1961. Because we were just going wild and west with what we were reading. And we loved it so much. Um, so we're, by, we're, we're ahead with the Hawks. You're not getting those. So today you're going to get your favorite Martian. Um, Martian Manhunter, John Jones or Jean Jean's as it may be. And thank uh, error not in your favor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Unfortunately. Um thankfully though, we're not going to be doing a ton of stories. Uh we're only doing a year's worth of content just to just to plow on through because really this is just a uh, a prolonged endeavor until we get to Green Lantern and Flash and then we get back to JLA. Uh so luckily lucky for you though, we're now on the JLA members and no longer the tertiary outside characters. So, good good news, it, albeit sad. Uh, so, here we are. Uh, Joanne, uh, we'll be trying to go through these pretty quickly, I, I hope. So, you know, keep the timer handy. And uh, we're going to start at Detective Comics number 288, February 1961. One of Martian Manhunter's friends uh, uses inventions gifted to him by crooks to try and clear his name and repay people from a scam that he was unintentionally involved in. Basically, his... Uh, uh, old business manager or boss swindled people out of money and they thought he was involved in the scam and he was trying now he's trying to give back to everyone to like pay off all the things that happened to them and of course taking inventions from thieves probably will lead to a bad thing so the thieves are trying to take all the money that he is getting from these inventions and i say inventions in quotation marks because really they're just machines that don't really work but martian manhunter is helping them work so that the guy can actually repay the people and repent and repair his reputation. So the thieves are like, oh my god, the machines actually work. Let's go steal all that money he has. And then Martian Manager stops the crooks. And his friend's name is cleared. Hooray. Very, very roundabout way for that to occur, I think. Um, Detective Comics number 289, March 1961. John, uh, or Martian Manhunter. We're going to call him all sorts of names here. It's John, Jean, or Martian Manhunter. Take your pick. Uh, they're all weird. Uh, I say this as a John. <laughs> it's very weird to say my name. In the, and it sounds like I'm talking in the third person, but I'll, you know, trudge through it. Uh, Martian Manhunter saves a jungle tribe from being forcibly relocated by pretending to be a new witch doctor that performs better magic than their previous one. Um, I just have next to that summary. Problematic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it kills me because, like, I have written down, it's it's not a horribly structured story. Like, no, this it's This actually not, yeah. feels like one of the better structures because there's a point where the local witch doctor is only able to summon water and rain. Uh but so there's a point where 
uh, as as in uh, that classic movie, Mystery Men, there is a moment where that very specific uh, power comes in handy and saves the day so that Martian Manhunter can finish the job. And it, it's well-structured in that way. But yeah, I just have written down. It's just kind of really racist. And yeah, it's uh, the, the jungle tribe is portrayed as fairly primitive. Not to say that there aren't primitive jungle tribes that still exist today, but also in the um, broken English stereotyped of a white man trying to portray um native tribes way that we have seen throughout the 60s visit any of our previous episodes where we talk about how bad it is to you know show people like this in this light and you'll know it's just not good to treat these people as uneducated and unintelligent just because they may or may not be literate in the ways that we know as a society um it's just it's it's poor form you know (laughs) don't do that don't be mean and downplay a civilization that has survived this many years just because they don't live the way that you do you know treat them respectfully you know if they're being hoodwinked try and find a better way of doing it than just they're dumb and they don't get it that's not the way to roll with this that that this ain't it um also the witch doctor in uh, first of all i don't know if witch doctor is a bad word now because i feel like witch doctor is used as a catch-all for tribal medicine man and or spiritual leader who tends to cure people um i feel like witch doctor is probably a bad term don't know never heard it called out as a bad term but i feel like it kind of is an insult so i'm gonna make a guess here and it is entirely uneducated uh, my guess is that it's an issue, not at, not that it's a slur or something along those lines, right. but more that it is indicative of the Western imperial uh, culture condensing various practices to one particular thing, yeah. one particular uh, view of them, one particular story of them, and also the associations that come with that story. Like, uh, yeah. like I, I mean, like, I don't. I don't know enough about, uh, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this, but voodoo, uh, the actual like voodoo religion. Uh, I don't know nearly enough about that, but my suspicion is that calling the practitioners of that witch doctor is problematic more for the fact that it completely misses the actual religion than that it's like a slur. That'd be yeah. my guess. Though. Yeah, yeah, I, I, get that, I, I get that impression. It's the idea that... um. Not all spiritual men or healers of tribes are witch doctors just because you went to a tribe and found one and that guy was called a witch doctor. Mm. You know, it's like if you found a holy man in a town and you called him a priest when really he's not a priest because you've just encountered priests and they're your, you know, reference for holy man. I'm sure there is a better term for it. You're just using the one that you're familiar with because it's the experience you have as opposed to learning it and figuring it out and using the appropriate term. Exactly that. I think that's the key thing is if you say the word witch doctor, it's a red flag that this person probably hasn't done their homework. Yeah. I mean, I would even take like holy man over witch doctor purely because it has somewhat more of a semblance of reverence to it of like this person has like some deification or connection with spirits that is above the normal person like holy may not be the correct term but it still elevates them to a position of somewhat authority within the culture maybe they don't have actual authority but it's othering them in a respectful way than just normal civilian the specific difference between holy and witch is i think it's also a a thing yeah it's also a thing um but as i was saying uh, the the quote-unquote witch doctor of this tribe i think is also a charlatan 
it comes to say that the the wind the 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 rain spell yep. is actually just buckets he has in the trees that his friends you know poke holes in that then simulate rain so not o- not only is he not actually magic he's also a charlatan as well which also doesn't put this man in a good light and it's worth noting like specifically it's not like oh he's a trickster he's not a coyote figure it's no he just like he is hoodwinking his fellow his fellow tribe members yeah it's which is also another way of saying that like oh we think your ways are so cute clearly it was fake yep you know and we're gonna see that same kind of chauvinism throughout the rest of these stories not so much directed at marginalized uh people of color but definitely at ladies uh we're going to see did you, the way did I you put say it is, shamanism or chauvinism chauvinism the way I have it summed up is later on there are going to be stories that you could basically sum up as eye roll, laugh, dames. Girls, right? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be bad. We don't think that yep. that about you, Joanne. You, you're, you have too much power over us for us to utter those words. Um, speaking of which, Detective Comics number 290, April 1961. Diane Mead, remember her? The gal that fancies John Jones is also the daughter of the police commissioner of the town that they live in parts unknown usa get she's cool she's a police woman um patrol woman uh diane mead is in danger as an evil director tries to ruin a movie by attempting to kill her on set a bunch of times to force people to stop making the production um john of course discovers this plot and stops it and the movie goes on forward and diane is safe um detective uh, detective comics number 291 may 1961 a man attempting to oppress his girlfriend dresses like Martian Manhunter and does a bunch of phony Martian Manhunter stunts. And Martian Manhunter, the real one, has to save him and help him get back with his girl because, of course, he attracts the ire of local mafia toughs in Parts Unknown USA because they're like, oh, look, the Martian Manhunter, let's get him. And he's like, not actually super powered, so he gets in trouble. Um, Detective Comics number 292. Uh, by the way, again, we can't stress this enough. Don't try to impress a significant other by being a superhero. It never works out. Just like nothing good ever happens at the circus, nothing good ever comes from trying to pretend to be a superhero to impress the one that you have affection for. I, I hesitate to say love, because I don't know what the relationship's like. But but he's willing to endanger himself, or at least spend a lot of money on elaborate ruses to impress this woman. I think the phrase small fortune was used. Yeah, small fortune. He is he is essentially a Bruce Wayne type, a a philandering playboy with lots of money as they describe him um, or he describes himself actually anyway detective comics number 292 june 1961 ex-cons trying to go straight are framed for crimes that they did not commit but are similar in the styles that they used to commit uh martian manhunter proves their innocence and arrests the ones that are trying to pin the crimes on them i'm also going to take another uh, stab at um lexiconal knowledge is going straight the appropriate term for people who are trying to go down the path of law-abiding anymore are we saying something else now i was i i actually had wondered that same thing uh i i think i think it's like I think what, what's probably happened mm-hmm. well i think that the, the the it goes to the term walking the straight and narrow yeah like that's absolutely where it comes from uh or so, those certainly share a uh an etymological root i think probably it's less that it's 
it's probably less that it's looked down on and more just people probably don't say it as often because it's probably more like to be go legit at yeah. this point. Go legit. Yeah, go legit is more of the, the terminology used. But yeah, it's 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 like saying cheese it. It's the cops, which I do say. Um, yes. And people get weirded <laughs> at me about that. So yeah, going straight, going, uh, going legit you know, turning over a new leaf, what have you, this is what these cons mm-hmm. are doing. Um, I just wanted to make sure because straight is used in such a specific term nowadays for, you know, sexual orientation. I was like, is that is that a thing? Has that been reclaimed? Do we need to know about that? But I feel like, like you're right, the way it's being used and what it's derived from, I don't think has merit in that direction. So I think it's fine to use. Should you ever decide to say that you're going straight when you're trying to talk about rehabilitation from criminal acts? If that's a thing that you do, uh, I, it, listener, if this applies to you, uh, we support you. Uh, congrats. Yeah. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Remember, nothing good ever happens at the circus. I will say, like, one of the things I've written down is that I really like the idea of John John's uh, working with ex-cons to help them go legit. I, and because yeah. it, first off, it's the right thing to do. Second off, uh, it also reminded me of back when I had a Marvel Unlimited subscription, uh, I read through Spider-Woman like the past, what, three years at that point, somewhere in that range. And one of the characters was an ex-con who was helping uh, Jessica. Jessica, God, it's been a while since I lots read of spider stories, There's but, lots of Spider-Woman. Yep, Jessica Drew. Yes. Yeah. Uh, helping Jessica Drew uh, both with her detective agency and also with her kid. And it was just like, yeah, yeah, this feels good. This, this is, first off, I like those stories. Second off, that's just a good thing to do. Uh, Detective Comics number 293, July 1961. Sally Winters, another patrol woman, and Diane compete in a bravery award contest for who the bravest police woman is, and also for John's affection. Um, we can talk about this more later, but I'm getting the impression that I think John is not interested in Diane in that way, purely because of different things that I can go into, but I get the impression that he's not so much interested in Diane romantically so much as he's interested in maintaining the identity that he has created. But we can go into that in the summary uh, summary for this. Detective Comics number 294, August 1961. Uh, Martian Manhunter and some criminals get teleported elsewhere because of lightning, question mark. Um, and in this new location, which I guess is a new world or a new dimension, he has no powers due to fire flowers that are around. Think the flowers from Mario, except they're always on on fire permanently and and of course as we know fire bad for martians yeah all right sure um and he eventually gets them back after a series of after supermanning essentially he just supermans his way out of the situation uh, Detective Comics number 295, September 1961. Martian Manhunter stops an imposter from getting a a free trip to Europe after getting uh the cops 100th arrest. So that sounds weird and I'll explain this. Apparently, according to the police department of Parts Unknown USA, if you get 1,000 arrests, you get a free trip to Europe as a reward, which is a nice thing to do, but also kind of might spark some sort of competitive nature as to what actually constitutes needing an arrest and may lead to some problematic false arrests. We're not going to go into that because we don't know any of that happening, and that's the darkest timeline that we don't like to talk about on this show from Martian Manhunter. So... Parts Unknown USA uh, gives a free European vacation to the person who gets 1,000 arrests. And a, a cop is trying to get his 1,000th arrest. And other cops are like, hey, Joe, or whatever your name was, it wasn't important. Um, that's that. That's the car we're all on the lookout for. Let's let him arrest him. Or, oh, there's that escaped criminal. Let's let him arrest him. So they're all looking out for their buddy because they want him to get the free 
uh, trip to Europe. And for whatever reason, Martian Manhunter is preventing him from getting the arrests by arresting the people himself or dropping them off the police station himself. And all the cops are like, what gives, man? And he eventually reveals that the cop trying to get his 1,000th arrest is actually a criminal who had extensive plastic surgery done to look like that cop to get the free trip to Europe so he could disappear where there were no extradition laws and had somewhere hidden the cop away so he could live his life out. It was very... <laughs> it's a lot of extra steps to this scheme. And honestly, the most complicated scheme that we've seen, and I kind of liked it. I was like, wow, that's cool. I wish we had more pages devoted to this story because it actually probably would have been very cool had it not been done in seven pages. But, uh, you know... Jack Miller, the writer for all of these, uh, not known at all, as far as I'm aware, elsewhere in DC. So maybe there's a reason. Uh, Detective Comics number 296, October 1961. Diane gets amnesia after a bump on the head when she's trying to apprehend some criminals. And in a very, very stupid and dangerous move, um, they use Diana's bait to kind of put her in front of the criminals again to see if they'll attack her. And Martian Manhunter has to protect her while she has amnesia because she also forgets her police training, but they put her back out on patrol, which again, Parts Unknown USA's police station is really weird. The PUPD is really what it stands for there. Uh, it's just, it sucks. It smells. <laughs> and that's the best acronym and joke I think we have on this episode, the PUPD. And I'm happy about that. I feel, I feel good about that very childish joke. Um, Detective Comics number 297, November 1961. Vigilantes try to take down a gang but get in trouble because obviously they don't have superpowers or any fantastic weapons. So they have like some like cool gizmos and gadgets from like, that's a great game, by the way, Gizmos and Gadgets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one's for you, Jackie. Um, like what was a helico- the name of the evil doctor that starred in all those games? Oh, shit. Anyway, while you I look that up, so. they've got like a helicopter that has like a giant claw on it and stuff like that. But bottom line being, they don't really think things through and they get in an ambush and Martian Manhunter has to protect them uh, from getting killed because they're, you know, vigilantes and not actually superheroes. Um Detective Comics number 297, December 1961. Martian Manhunter saves an Impressionist's career and life. Uh, The Impressionist is actually doing a whole bit as Martian Manhunter and has asked Martian Manhunter to help him figure out the role. And they're getting along fine. And the guy sprains his ankle, rolls his ankle kind of a thing. And um, he's like, oh my god, I can't go on. This will ruin my career. I was just on the height of a comeback. And Jean is like, "I'll, I'll do your bit for you. Don't worry about it. And he's like, really? He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll do. And what's really cool, actually, this is one of my favorite things that Jean does. He does every trick the exact way it was supposed to be done, as opposed to using his powers correctly and really selling the tricks. He does them in a way that is believable that the Impressionist would do it so the people wouldn't demand later that that guy do more fantastic stunts than he was actually capable of doing because it would be dishonest. And I thought that was really cool of him because Superman wouldn't have done that. Superman would have been like, nah, it's cool. I'll do super fantastic Superman stuff. And everyone will think you're me when you really can't back that up. And Martian Manhunter's like, nope, got to do the tricks the way that he designed them. That's the only way to keep his cover. And I was like, good for you, Jean. I do want to call out the inverse though. I fully agree. Like that, that feels better. It's more imaginative. It's cooler to see. But at the very end, uh, there's the bit where the impersonator is uh, cornered by some thugs. And in order to convince uh, even the crooks that, hey, the person who was out on stage was actually the 
uh, the impersonator and the person they found in this trailer was the real Martian Manhunter. Uh, oh, it's all set up like, okay, uh, John Johns is going to have to uh, find ways of using his powers, but like making it seem as though it's coming from the guy who's in there, the impersonator. And it's all set up for that. And they don't. They just say, all right, Martian Manhunter moves really fast and he's blurry. So it looks like the uh, uh, the imposter or the impersonator is the one who is doing like fighting these guys off. It's amazing how much how imaginative they are in the rest of the story. And then for the finale, they just eh, hand wave. He moves fast. Well, I'll put it to you this way. That situation was actually dangerous, though. Mm. If anything had not gone according to his plan, that guy could have died. So that's my no prize explanation is that Jean isn't willing to take that guy's life at the gambit of making him look cool. I will give you a no prize. Yeah, it's a no prize. It's not actually probably what what was done there. It's probably just bad writing. But I like that no no prize explanation is that Jean is too concerned for his safety. Uh, the impression of safety to allow him to try and pretend to be him because that's, that isn't safe. So I'll just say that. Uh, final story that we're covering today, detective comics, number two ninety nine, January, 1962. Happy new year. Diane gets jealous of a woman that John is working with and protecting and tries to prove that the woman is a spy, but what she doesn't realize is that the woman is a spy for America and not a, like, foreign spy. And so a kind of like, oh, no, I thought you were evil. Oh, no, you found me out. Oh, well, I guess we're both going to die because you screwed up my case. And then Martian Manhunter comes in and saves them. Um, Kind of a situation plays out. And that's kind of where we end in 1962. So uh, in the midst of all of these stories, Jean displays a new power, which is a like energy force field that prevents bullets from hitting him at one point, which he has never displayed before. I'd forgotten about that. And it, it, cause we've already, we've always had him just be strong. He's strong and the bullets bounce off of him or he density shifts or what have you. And the bullets don't affect him. But he shows like an actual like force field. And I'm like, where are you projecting that from? Of which and from which energy are you projecting a force field that is keeping you safe? Don't know. But it's weird. Um, also, to the to the thing that I was talking about with Diane Mead, um, I don't wanna I don't wanna say because he's not interested in a woman, that's clearly a sign that I think he's asexual, but it could also suggest that as a Martian, Jean recognizes that he has no attraction to Diane because they are different. I just don't get the impression that he is at all attracted to Diane. He never says anything about her like, oh, she's so pretty or she's so beautiful and I like her a lot. And oh, I can't reveal my secret because she'll get in trouble. She always appears to be not a nuisance, but just a distraction. But he does like her. She's cool and he appreciates her. And I think he very much respects her in the way that 1960s men respect women. Um, I don't get the impression, however, that there is any romantic relationship between them. Unlike what JLA would have you believe when all the JLA members went to the circus that they, you know, stopped that alien invasion from and they all had dates and Diane was with John Johns. And I I just think it's interesting. I think there was a bit there that I think was especially salient. Uh, The fact that they didn't feel 
the, the writing never makes excuses for why he doesn't reveal himself to her or get in a relationship with her. Whereas every other character we've had that, or they've in the case of uh, Barry Allen, like he's just, he's engaged like that. Yeah. There wasn't, no, that they, is their relationship. Make the, yeah, exactly that. Whereas every other time, if there is someone in there long term, there is a clear reason for them to be separate, whether it's on the side of the woman or or on the side of the non-powered individual or if it's on the side of the powered individual. Like uh, you have Steve Trevor of, oh, I can't marry you, Steve, until until there's no more threats to the world. Uh, and then what was it uh, with... Uh, with Hal, it's okay. Well, she's not available because she needs to be emotionally separate from Hal Jordan while she's running the company. Like they, they come but, up with but justifications. She, well, it's like she's she's his boss. Yeah, that's the and, yeah. And granted, like those are good justifications, but yeah, the writing felt the need to set something out. And yeah. here it's there are no obvious impediments, and you're not going for it. I actually like. There's nothing in the text that says this is what it is instead of just he's not interested in her. But I think reading John Johns as ace or at the very least not interested in human women, I yeah. think is spot on. Yeah. And because it, it, there's plenty of opportunities where like the other gal and Diane being like, oh, we're competing for John's affection. It's like he doesn't seem to like be titillated by this at all. He's just like, you silly women, there's people to save. It's like, yeah, like that's his number one priority. And again, it's not to say that, you know, he could be gay. He could be any, you know, he could be a variety of different things. Um, but his lack of romantic interest in general, which again, for the 60s, not like they're going to write a gay relationship in the 60s because they're just, they wouldn't, um, in comics at least. At least, certainly in these comics. Yeah, at least in these comics. Um, it could be read as asexuality or like you said not interested in earthlings which is fine and interesting but i think you're right it is an interesting thing to look at as male female couples go in the dc universe in the silver age jean and diane are not a romantic couple they are a work couple because she's as effective when you look at it as alana they right. both, yeah, I'll like, bet on that. I mean, like, Diane is a cop. She's clearly good enough at her job to be a cop. During that entire sequence of trying to prove how good and brave she and the other gal are, they're doing stuff, brave things. You know, she's trying to track down criminals. Like, Diane is very clearly a good cop. And John does not downplay that. He never says she's bad. He never says like, oh, it's cute. You know, it just sometimes she screws up. It happens. Not everybody's perfect. Not everyone has superpowers. So it's an it's a, a different take on that relationship. And I think of all the things about this character, that's the thing I like the most. Is that that is different and unique. Yeah. Okay. In a in a I'll, positive way. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a positive way, just if anything, to provide variety. It's not yeah. like it's not like done well or, you know, oh, my God, it's groundbreaking. It's just like, oh, that's that's a nice change of pace from every single man and woman being coupled together romantically. Yep. And then we've got these I, two who are like, we're buddies. 
I am willing to bet, though, that by the time we get maybe five years, probably less, into uh, the Silver Age, uh, I think five more years of comics and we see them in an actual romantic relationship. I I think there's either a change in writers or a change in writing. And that just, oh, this is the way it's always been. Well, you don't think he's going to get a mermaid girlfriend first? (laughs) Everybody gets one. Mm -hmm. Everybody yeah. gets one. Yeah. Everybody gets all a right. mermaid girlfriend. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, um, that is that is all that I have. Do you have notifications? Uh, let's see. One thing that I have not said this about a lot of other stories, but I think that this, these are legitimately too short. Not just that there's... Not just that it's not as good of a story because it's... Uh, relatively short like length but like legitimately these stories are rushed they are ending too abruptly uh it is one thing to say oh it's i mean these are seven pagers just nothing uh and it would be one thing if i were saying yeah these stories feel really abrupt and or like these stories feel like they're condensed and but they're written efficiently. Like I think we've seen, I think we've seen Gardner Fox do some short stuff like that. Uh, but this is no; these are these stories are not good in part because they are squishing it instead of writing for the length. God, yeah, coming from like you know Adam Strange or you know the Adam or the Elongated Man or Supergirl, these being yeah. so short is just fascinating. And that's one of the other things is we haven't had the consolidation moment yet because uh, we have like in the past couple episodes, we've talked about the point where these stories go from, oh, there's three stories per anthology issue uh, and then it condenses down to two. And then the question is, is it weighted more in favor of like the Superman Superman story gets most of it and then like a little bit shorter uh, of length for Supergirl or is it? Uh, different but these are just straight up like the the shortest of all worlds let's see i'll save that one a little bit for the end uh i gotta talk about this one um he's got a real shitty smirk (laughs) like it's it's almost like predatorily cherubic but it is 100 like a shitty smirk the corners of his mouth like twist up it's like I think they wind up doing like a ninety degree t- uh, turn, so that it looks like he's, it looks like he's smiling, kind of like the Grinch does when the Grinch has a terrible, awful idea. Oh. It doesn't go as far, and it doesn't have like the head tilt, but it's definitely got that same like, uh, almost that very uncanny valley twist. Yeah, and it's just like also just smirks, smirks look shitty. Just in general, but other note that I have, uh, it's issue 291. Like he phases into a tree and he maneuvers the tree limbs. Yeah. Okay. That was weird. <laughs> that, I didn't count that as a new power purely because he does density shift into things. I thought that was the first time he'd ever tr- um, changed, like physically changed or morphed. But it was like, nope. nope, I'm inside this thing and also moving it. I'm like, mm, you sneaky yeah. bastards. <laughs> it, it feels like something that comes up this once and then we never hear about that again. But it it felt weird and wrong. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to call out, like, I've sort of mentioned this in the past. Uh, the way that we read these is so different than the way it, in- it initially was consumed uh, because we're reading, like, a year's worth of comics uh, in an evening or thereabouts uh even an evening might even be a strong phrase because these ones like i think we did what 12 issues and it was seven pages each yeah so we 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 go through these pretty quick which means we're reading them as a bunch we're not experiencing them as oh this is one story at the end of detective comics and maybe i was really happy i got a good batman story and then oh well here's marsh manager all right i'll read it and then a month later i do it again like we're getting it in a very different experience, but within the context of this experience, they're bad. If yeah. we read them one on individually, they'd probably be mediocre with some that were just bad. Even just talking about it now has made me think about the difference in the way that we read comics just in general, like then versus now, even like if you were, even if it had come out now, like we read for the trade, we watch Netflix and we watch seasons on Netflix. Uh, we, we consume content at binge is a strong word, but we certainly are used to bigger chunks. And I think one of the things that, one of the reasons that this fails so especially when we try to consume it in that way is that it doesn't have any kind of narrative momentum there is no yeah. ongoing plot there isn't even a this spins into this into this uh like we kind of had with uh hawkman uh and we're so used to that that soap opera aspect of well this is bad but i mean i'm already like two seasons in i might as well keep going it's lacking there legs isn't even that um let's see worth noting uh issue 293 uh Aquaman transitions from, I guess it was adventure, into Detective Comics. It replaces uh, Roy Raymond, TV detective. Oh, bye, Roy. Yeah, I, I don't know where it ends up. I wonder if it keeps going on a different uh, comic or not. Hmm. Uh, I came up with another phrase. Uh, Lieutenant Pop. Love oh. triangle for the purpose of plot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a forced love triangle. Yeah. Yep. Because that's the other side. Like it would have been a little bit better in some of these stories if they'd had more characters to pull from, or one way or another. There were times it manufactured relationships out of nowhere. Like we've mm. talked about in the past, how John Jones has friends everywhere, and just like, oh yeah, he knows a Hollywood producer. Here, it's he has a friend. Uh, scrolling up to the first story, it was. Uh, his friend, yeah, his inventor friend, uh, or not inventor, but the the former businessman bank guy uh, who gets the inventions that he's convinced are re- real but are actually just fakes. Uh, and then you have the instance where Diane and another policewoman are feuding. Uh, those are characters who are manufactured out of whole cloth and we never see again. Yes. Yeah. That's especially for the the businessman one like that's that's absolutely a lost opportunity that they didn't have characters who we could oh we're invested in this guy we've never uh, invested in any of his friends to be honest so yes it's just they've they come and go and they are there it's also like friends for pop 
Yeah. You know, they, they, they're they there to give him a reason to do something. Um, it, it's because Diane doesn't serve the purpose of that like Alana or Inza did. Mm-hmm. You know, Inza and Alana always provided this thing for, you know, Dr. Fate or um, Adam Strange. It's like, oh, my God, my girlfriend or female companion has the next assignment. His friends do. So John has a multitude of friends that he knows. They just are there to provide him with something to do. So that it's something I've been thinking a little bit about how, how continuity is treated in this era versus modern comics and honestly, modern multimedia in general. Um, And especially how it's treated in these comics. Continuity is never. So specifically looking at it from the perspective of Martian Manhunter continuity is never a, allowed to be an obstacle and it is so not allowed to be an obstacle that it there is minimal uh world uh one of the things uh that the the older i get the more i appreciate is the idea that writing within constraints is where you get creative writing within an established world of xavier institute and then uh, no more mutants, like and uh, working within uh, the Weapon X, having an established world like that, you are forced to at least obey some of most of those rules for it to be believable and internally consistent. But then you get stories that have so much more meaning because you're not doing complete uh, Lieutenant Pop, you're not doing uh, F Pop. The trade-off that's made there is that those stories already have a ton of inherent investment, but you have to deal with the fact as a writer that you have to obey certain rules and you can't change characters around on the fly. Whereas most of these stories uh, within this era, like uh, Superman and Supergirl stories, have relatively minimal world building, relatively minimal lore, and hence relatively minimal and minimal rules that they have to follow, but they have at least something that they yeah. can work around. And okay, this is the story where something happens to the people at the orphanage that Supergirl's at. He, this these stories and decent chunks of the last bit of Adam Strange that we covered are so open and have so few grounding pieces that we lose a lot of any investment in them. Uh, but like, because Diane is so ill-defined, they can just go crazy and make her fit any scenario. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting bit. Like I, one of the things that I think I'm going to end up really giving more and more thought to as we go further into the silver age is the way that, continuity is treated then versus now and how then versus now versus now in fandom Mm. because this stuff especially this era and these kinds of comics especially it's continuity feels less like an ends unto itself i guess and certainly like one of our taglines is uh, just every bit of reversible lore uh, is sort of the way they treat their worlds in this point. But continuity is fundamentally treated differently in this period, or at least the way they're using it is. 
Yeah. One thing I want to call out, I do kind of like the visual effect of his transformation. Like, yeah. it's him versus him next to him in his other form. Uh, and then, like, circles coming out. Very, uh, very Havoc style. Yeah, it's it's concentric circles over two almost transparent versions of himself. Like, the overlays are being swapped out. Um, still missing a magical girl transformation, but yeah. Worth noting, uh, this... Some of these stories saw a return of one of my least favorite things, which is stories where the writer is keeping a secret from the reader. The, oh, why is why is Batman uh, working against Robin in this story? Why mm-hmm. is Martian Manhunter, uh, why has he lost his powers? Or why uh, is he preventing this cop from getting his 1,000th arrest? You know. Yes, 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 yes. And it's especially bad when there's like a twofer of a story with that and Diane is bumbling and making you roll your eyes and say, dames, like and Definitely. this, there's a lot of chauvinism going on. <laughs> uh, the other one that I want to talk about a little bit, and I want to hear your thoughts on this as well, uh, yeah. because it actually grew out of something we talked about. Uh, it's the way that the cops are used in the issue where uh, Diane takes the place of a stunt woman and uh, is basically just on loan as a stunt woman to this uh, to this production, and also John Johns is there uh, to look out for more sabotage. Uh, and we've seen a number of these stories. Usually, it's not so bad because it's like, oh, it's Batman is standing in. For this story, it's Aquaman is uh, helping with this uh, film and doing special effects. Those I don't mind as much because it's explicitly private citizens slash like private superheroes uh, doing that and volunteering their time. This is this bugged me because they were there explicitly in their roles as cops. And my feelings about cops are complex, but. I think we I think that we both agree that it's weird when cops or their likenesses are loaned out to entertainment. There's definitely a continuum here, but having fake cops break up a fight in WWE or having a cop take a stunt woman's place in the story feels especially egregious. Yeah. And, there's a lot going on there and that is a fantastic situation that could only happen in fiction. Or like I mean that's the other side of it is it's mostly yes. But also, there is the fact that, like, cops are at sporting events. And, like, specifically, like, they're going back to uh, WWE. Like, granted, like, not well, you sporting can, events well, is a little bit of say, strong like, word. But, um, like, football games. There are football games and baseball games and yes. stuff like that. You know, that's that's completely mm-hmm. true. Yeah, and especially the, like, the musical side of it. You have the the police band uh mm-hmm. i don't remember i think it might have been alistair black's entrance at, at wrestlemania had the uh the irish drew mcintyre uh, drew mcintyre had like the irish new york police band a uh, bunch of bagpipes and uh uh bagpipes and drums i think it was mm-hmm. uh and same thing at like sporting sporting events uh, and there's two bits. So first off, I want to come at it from a different angle, which is 
the the one that we're seeing here where well actually first i want to i want to give you a little space to talk about the wwe case uh specifically where uh building up to wrestlemania becky and charlotte and uh ronda getting in a fight and having fake cops come in and arrest people i want to give you a moment to rant on that yeah um a good guy a bad guy and a morally gray character um or a good girl bad girl bad gal good gal whatever you want to call them for whatever uh, the gender appropriate term is um we're in a fight cops were called and during their arrest the wrestlers assaulted the cops that were arresting them so that they could get back into the fight and i feel like that is a very white thing to happen first of all because cops would never let another individual while they were being arrested assault them so it sets a precedent that you can assault police officers during your arrest when that is very clearly resisting arrest that if you are violently resisting arrest things will happen to you Um, but for predominantly white characters to be able to get away with that and only get a slap on the wrist, I think that sets a dangerous precedent for what can be done to figures that are presented as authority and punishment for when you break the law. And I think that's not a responsible thing to do. Going back to the, the bit that you called out specifically of it being a very white thing to do to write a scenario where people are resisting arrest and continuing to fight. Uh, the, the phrase that I have written down is cops are not window dressing. They're not a neutral group that you can incorporate without bringing all of the baggage along with them. Yeah, uh, exactly. If, if any of those women in that segment on WWE had been any other color than white, there would be entirely different connotations. Yep. There was that tweet going around a little bit of uh, reply with the craziest shit you've gotten away with uh, around cops for being white. Mm-hmm. And it's it's ridiculous. Oh boy, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It's very indicative and I th- of how we have treated the police in media and how we treat characters who are white and the police in media. I'm not I'm not sure how this ties into what you were talking about. I just. That was that was what we had we had we had talked about before this. Yeah, uh, I think that is half of what I wanted to address with this because there are those scenarios like that get written up, those stories that get told, and I wanted to have a space there that was exactly that of just hey, this is not some neutral thing. The other side, uh, and this ties in a little bit more. Uh, is specifically the idea of like the police band at sporting events. I actually like, even though that's more normal and less of an issue, I still do actually have a little bit of an issue with it. Uh, the more I thought about it, uh, because even though cops are emphatically not unbiased, uh, agents of justice, that is what they are at least supposed to be. There are connotations of that, uh, and having police appear at like sporting events as like a police band or in any form, like, uh, another example I have here is like pride parades, cops at pride. Uh, it's anything that they are at is 
I think, fundamentally saying like, oh, this event and the people running it are fundamentally good or at least apolitical, but nothing is apolitical. Baseball isn't apolitical. Basketball isn't apolitical because uh, for a long time, the segregation of uh, baseball was a thing. The NC2A is an organization that benefits economically from undercompensating young, largely people of color athletes. Uh, pride parades aren't apolitical. They're, they're either a protest and a statement of defiance or kind of like St. Patrick's Day seems to be a corporatized reassurance that the right kind of a marginalized group will be allowed to share the spoils of empire. As long as cops have at least the idea that they are unbiased agents of justice, it feels very strange and wrong for them to appear in support of unrelated organizations. And I understand why, but there's a reason that people are protesting during the national anthem as well. It's not that it's not that there's something essentially wrong with the national anthem. It's that everything is political and everything has a political effect and that political effect needs to be called out. So one more another long-winded, but think think critically about the presence of cops and police and the justice department in stories or in uh daily life is sort of right. what i would throw out there uh, so in the instance of cops being used as movie extras in place of actual extras it says something about your movie if you are willing to use the police and the police are willing to back you because it's like getting an endorsement that's that's the long and short of it is cops being at your thing real or fake well no real cops being at your thing is an endorsement by the police that they support your thing so just be aware of that statement Mm -hmm. um because cops you could you could just as easily hire private security yep it's just one's more expensive than the other so that's that's all that it is um but yeah, I, I, there's plenty of stunt women. I'm sure that they could have hired rather than Diane. But I guess it's the idea. I'm sure that's not where they were going with this. I'm sure what they were saying was yeah. Diane's a policewoman, so she's okay with danger. And if someone attacks her, she can defend herself. But that's not what we see happening. It's not like Diane fights off an assassin. It's Diane is put in the exact same harm's way that the other stunt woman was put into. And John has to save her. There was a way that could have been done well if Diane had saved the day by facing the danger that only a policewoman could save people from. But that mm-hmm. wasn't what happened. If there was a legitimate threat on people's lives, the cops would be oh, there. Yeah. You know, the cops would be there because that's police protection because there was a there was an attempted murder. 100%. That makes sense. That's the interest of public safety. And then you could have just bumped police security while having a new stunt woman. But they chose to the the cops lent Diane to the to the project, which is a statement of the cops saying we will support you in this way, not only with our police protection, but lending you a police officer for non police work. Yep. All right. Do you have any good uh, recommendations? Yeah. Speaking of cops in media, um, I've been watching The Rookie when my sister watches it, and I really like that show. Um, it is the new Nathan, Nathan Fillion show, where he is a uh, like the oldest rookie in the LAPD, and I gotta say, it is an interesting show and a very interesting um, perspective on police officers, and I think it is worth a watch. Most of the cast is people of color, 
most of the individuals they encounter are people of color. Um, there is a, I'm, I'm still in season one. There is a woman who is the police captain. Um, his training officer is a woman, a black woman. Um, there are, I think it's, it's male, female, male, female, male, female for all the groups for the three training rookies that are the two rookies that are with him and the three training officers. It is one to one for each of them. So it's a male trainee and a, and a female trainer and a female trainee and a male trainer. Um, and all the relationships are appropriate. Like the male trainer with the female trainee is not like weird or gross. Like they all have like really good relationships and they're all trying to be good cops. And I think it's a really cool representation of people just trying to be good police officers. Um, if Brooklyn nine, nine is the comedic version of really good cops, the rookie is the more serious drama. Everyone's a good cop, but sometimes there are hard decisions and this is why police work is difficult because they do talk about like how the police are perceived. How are there ways that they can help people without being a police officer? How can they use the law to do things that are good while not directly using the law to endorse a certain thing? It's very interesting. Um, I think it's very well written. Um, it's worth it. It's worth a look if you haven't checked it out. Um, so it's called The Rookie. Nice. I I will keep an eye on that. I, yeah. It's been a while since I watched Nathan Fillion's show. He's good in it. I think he does a really good job of playing paternal without being fatherly to everyone because he is a divorced mm-hmm. dad. Um, you can tell there's a lot of like, I'm old and you're young stuff. Um, but he doesn't like patronize the, the other rookies, which I think is really cool as well. He's one of them. And I like that. It's just, this is the old guy on our team and that's about it. Like no one gives him shit for being old. They occasionally go like, what do you mean? What is this pop culture reference? Um, but it's not like all the time. That's not the joke. Um, which I also think is very smart writing to not be ageist in that way. But I think they do well with interpersonal relationships, how to handle them within offices, how the police officers handle certain things, how they might handle sexism and racism as police officers. It's, it's good. I think it's worth, I think it's worth watching for a different type of cop show that isn't just law and order. Nice. Yeah. Uh, on my end, uh, we've been watching Genlock, uh, which is Rooster Teeth. Uh, they of Ruby and once upon a time, uh, red versus blue. You mean red versus and blue still isn't going? Uh, it honestly, it might well be. I honestly don't know. What, is, it, what even it is that show anymore? <laughs> <laughs> like I watched, uh, I, I know stuff was coming out for it like eight years ago, which was still what, like six years after it started, but, uh, or whatever. Uh, but I haven't followed it at all. Sunrise, sunset, sunset. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Genlock is cool. So first off, like the main character is Jordan, Pe- Jordan B. Peterson, which hmm. or Michael B. Jordan, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, and yes, cool. Uh, and it's, it's doing some interesting stuff. It's, it's a mecha anime, like the way they do anime, at least. Mecha animes uh, are good. And it's, yep. And it's been a while since I saw one, which throws me a little bit, but it's, it's doing some interesting stuff. It's asking some interesting questions and situations about bodies and identity that, I only had a vague inkling they were going to do. Uh, and honestly, like 
it's it's like an eight episode season and they have not been afraid to shake things up and i'm very curious like we have two episodes left in the season and i'm honestly not sure where this is going like holy shit this cast is nuts but yeah Yeah, michael Michael b jordan uh, dakota fanning uh, Maisie Williams. Fan? I forgot about that. And David Tennant. Yeah. David Jesus. Tennant is playing a scientist. Wow. All right. It's good. Yeah. Anyway, he, sorry. Honestly, I was Googling like, it while you were. good. Yeah. Yeah. My apologies. Ah, no worries. Yeah. I am. I do recommend that. Awesome. Okay. That'll about do it for this episode. I promise this time when we say what we're going to move to next, it will be that thing. <laughs> Um, it will either be toss up 50, 50 green arrow or Superman trying to decide if I want to get the aliens out of the way first, um, when it comes to our coverage, because Superman will also be a lengthy episode because we have to cover both action comics and Superman. Um, we might do that one next. Um, I'm actually kind of eager to get back to green arrow though. I kind of want to read more green arrow since of, you know, based off of what we read and I want to see more about that and him and speedy. Um, but we'll get to it eventually because we're we're now back in the Justice League and we only have so many more and you know only so many more episodes until we get back to to JLA. So uh, this is it. This is the the last leg of the of the the four hundred race. So get ready. Uh, we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for more. We wrapped up our little visit to Parts Unknown USA, and it was hard not to dance on the way out. John Johns' world didn't grow, and it didn't get better. At least, not yet, and there wasn't anything on the horizon, either. For now, we packed back up and refreshed ourselves on our next appointment. This would be an interesting one.